If you've not done so already, you can open your Bibles to Psalm 33, the psalm that Sam read for us. As you hear the opening verses of this psalm, you, you realize that this psalm is really, really begins with a, a call to worship. David writes, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the uprise. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. The, the psalmist, we presume it is David. This is one of the few psalms in the, the first book of the psalms that doesn't actually have a, a title. But, but we assume that this is a continuation of, of Psalm 32. I'll come back to that in a minute. And, and so we assume that this is a, a psalm of David, and David is calling us to worship. He's, he's calling us to come into the presence of the Lord with, with shouts of joy, with, with praise on our lips. He, he's calling us to come in giving thanks with, with musical instruments played skillfully. This is what David wants of us in this psalm. He, if, if in Psalm 32 he was calling us to confession, here he is calling us to worship. And, and the first thing I want you to see is, is how he refers to those whom he is calling. He, he refers to them as the, the righteous, as the upright. He, he is calling on the righteous to come into God's presence with shouts of joys. Now, for Presbyterians, I'm not sure if it is David's call for shouts or his uh, re reference to us as righteous that makes us more uncomfortable, but, uh, but they're both things that we need to hear. We, we, we need to understand that we are being called into God's presence as the righteous. But we need to understand what that Mean. Some of us struggle to, to apply that language to ourselves. We, we struggle to think of ourselves as the upright because we know ourselves. We, we know our hearts. We, we know our sins. And yet, this is how, not only here, but throughout the scriptures, the people of God are referred to. They are referred to as the righteous. And we can understand that when we remember, as I said, that this psalm flows out of Psalm 32. Notice again, just glance up the page at the last verses of Psalm 32, the psalm that we looked at last Sunday. At the end of that psalm, we are, we are told that, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now if you don't know anything else about the psalm. You, you may still not understand what David is getting at, but you have to remember that that comes at the end of Psalm 32, a psalm that began by acknowledging that the lives of God's people are sometimes marked by transgressions and by sins and by iniquity. David is not confused. He is not blind to the truth that God's people are Sinners. He, he knew himself to be a sinner, a grave sinner. And yet, he could refer to himself as righteous, and he could refer to God's people as the upright. Not because they had established their own righteousness by their own good works, but rather because they had been made righteous by the grace of God. 
Remember, that's what the Psalm 32 was all about. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is the one who, who acknowledges his sin, who, who confesses his sin, and who comes to God for the pardon that he needs. It is this one who is declared righteous. And it is this one who is called to come into the presence of God with shouts of joy. And so if you are here this morning and you have have turned to God in faith, if you have received and rested upon Jesus Christ for for your salvation, if you are now endeavoring to, to walk after him in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, yes, you are a sinner, but you are a forgiven sinner. You are a justified sinner. And in your Savior, by His grace, you are among the righteous. And therefore, what does David say? He says, praise befits you. Praise should be the natural expression, the the natural overflow of your heart. Like the little boy who loves pandas, who can't stop talking about them. Your love for God ought to overflow. It ought to to flow out of your heart, out of your mouth, and shouts of joy in the Lord. Because you are the righteous. You are those who have been reconciled to him. You are those who have been claimed as his heritage. But what about if that's not your experience this morning? What if praise doesn't seem to be overflowing? What if, if worship doesn't seem to, to come naturally? We, we, what if we are, are more likely to, to praise the exploits of an, of an athlete or of a, of a celebrity than we are to praise the, the, the wonders of our God? Praise befits the upright, but if we're honest, we have to admit that, that the upright don't always praise. Well, you've heard me say it before, and I I want to to say it to you again, that if that is where you find yourself this morning, if you find yourself this morning, and and you find yourself not overflowing with praise, then praise is what you most need to do. We, We sometimes think that you ought to wait till we feel it to be truly authentic. But David shows us otherwise. He says, listen, praise befits the upright. And if you're not feeling like it, then turn your eyes back to the wonder of who God is. If you're not feeling like praising, you need to see your God again with fresh eyes. And that's what David does for us in the the main body of this psalm. He calls us into worship, but he he doesn't just call us to worship. He points our eyes to Jesus that we might be led into worship. And that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us, I want us to hear David as he points our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to our Lord, to the wonder of of who he is, so that we again might overflow with worship, that we might again praise him with loud shouts of joy. So let's go and, and look at what David has to say. The first thing that we will, will see here this, this morning is that it is the, the word of the Lord that is upright. And it is his work that is done in faithfulness. This is the first thing that, that David tells us as he, as he calls us into worship. He says, the word of the Lord 
is upright. Now when you hear that language of the word of the Lord, I wonder what first comes to mind. That, that language is, is used in a variety of ways throughout the scriptures. The, the word of the Lord is a, is a broad term. Sometimes it refers to God's law, to his, his commandments. The, we, we actually refer to the Ten Commandments as God's ten words. And so God's law is his word. It, it tells us what, we, what is required of us. It tells us how we must live. But, but God's wisdom is also referred to as his, his word. Not only does God tell us what we, we must do, he, would, he tells us what is good and what is right and, and how we should live, how this world uh, works. But of course, God does more than even just this. God also speaks to his people promises. He gives them their, his word. He tells Abraham that, that he will make him into a great nation. Then he stands by that covenant promise throughout all generations. We're going to hear in this psalm of his steadfast love filling the earth. And that, that language of steadfast love is the language of God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. His promises to, to make for himself a people who will be his heritage. So the, the word of the Lord is a, is a broad term, and we can, we can think of it generally in, in all of the ways that God reveals himself. All of the ways that God shows us who he is. All of the ways that God shows us his beauty and his, and his character. This is the word of the Lord. It is the revelation of, of his character. It's why Jesus is referred to as the word in John chapter 1, because the word of the Lord reveals God. It shows us who he is, and Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. He is the word of God incarnate, the word of God come in the flesh. And so we have the word of God as the self-revelation of God. It's, it's what shows us who God is. And David says that the word of God is upright. It is righteous. It is, it is upstanding. It is as it should be. It, it perfectly accords with truth. When we speak of a person's words being crooked or when we speak of a person's words being, being slanted, we mean that they are, they are trying to lead us away from the truth. They're, they're trying to lead us in a way we should not go for their own advantage. They're, they are no longer concerned with what is good, what is, what is right, uh, what is proper, but they are rather trying to gain some advantage for themselves. And so they slant their words. They make their words crooked in order to deceive. God's words are never like that. God's words are upright. God's words always accord with the truth. He never seeks to take advantage of us, but rather he is a God who rather gives himself away for the advantage of others. And so his words are being upright means they, they always accord with the truth and therefore they are always for our good because truth and, and goodness cannot be separated. To, to flourish in this world that God created by his word is to live in accord with that word. We, we see this in the Genesis account. In the Genesis account, God says, he speaks, and it is. He, he says, let there be light, and there is light. We're told that, that whatever God says is what comes to, to be, and again and again, God looks at the world that, that is in accord with his word, and what does he say? That it is good. So long as the world accords with God's righteous, upright word, it is good. It, it is as it should be. It is a place for flourishing. It is a place for delight. 
And this is what David reminds us of here. He says, the word of the Lord is upright. It is the the very revelation of that which is good, of of all righteousness. Notice how he puts it in verse 5. He says, the Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his steadfast love. That word steadfast love is, is sometimes translated mercy. And you may, you may hear the echoes then of, of Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, that, that you should do justice and you should love mercy and you should walk humbly with your God. That's, that's how God calls us to live. He calls us to be doers of justice. To, to be people who, who do right in this world, and not only do right by the letter of the law, but who delight to bring blessing to others, who delight in mercy, who, who love it. And when we, we hear that call, we are, we are sometimes overwhelmed because we know that we, we can't live up to it, but what we need to recognize is that God is simply calling us to reflect His character in the world. He is calling us to be image bearers of Him because He is a God who does justice. He is a God who delights in mercy. This is the nature of God's Word, that, that throughout the universe we see the world filled with the steadfast love of God. With our fallen eyes, we can sometimes look at the brokenness of the world and and we can wonder where God is. We we can blame Him for the the destruction and the, uh, the, 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 the suffering that our sins have caused. But if we look honestly at the world, we will remember and we will recognize that God has been gracious and He has remained gracious and His steadfast love is on display everywhere we look. I used to remind my, my students that the fact that it rains water <laughs> is a blessing of the Lord. The fact that there's air to breathe is a blessing of the Lord. The fact that, that even despite our sins, the earth still brings forth Food to eat is a blessing of the Lord. Yes, it requires toil. Yes, there are thorns and there are thistles. But God's blessings still overflow to his people. His steadfast love is seen throughout the universe. It it fills the earth. This is who God is. This is, a God, this is who God reveals himself to be in his word. And not only in his word, but also in his, his doing. For, for what does David say? His works are done in faithfulness. Not only are his words upright, but all that he does is faithful to those words. He always acts in accord with what he says. None of us can, can say that. None of us can, can say that, that our words are, are always upright in the first place. We, we are people who sometimes slant our words to our own advantage. In our, in our sinfulness, we use words to deceive. In our sinfulness, we use words to, to tear down. But not only that, when, even when we get our words right, even when we say the right things, we sometimes fail to live up to them. We sometimes fail to, to execute them. But God is not so. His words are always upright and His actions are always faithful. He always does what is good. This is the God whom we worship. This is the God into whose presence we we come. A God whose words are upright and whose actions are always faithful. And and David shows us two ways in which this is true of the Lord in particular. First, he he shows us God as the creator. We see it there. He, 
he says that, that the Lord, uh, um, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. The, the good, upright word of the Lord called into existence all that is. That's why the creation was, was good when he first made it. We, we see David here just simply asserting the, the fact of, of creation. That God, by the word of his power, spoke all that is into existence. He called into existence things that, that formerly did not exist. Nothing that exists exists apart from him. This is the, the reality of, of worshiping God as the creator. And we could, we could spend a long time just meditating on the, the, the wonder of that truth. But notice the, the particular that David focuses on here. Notice what he says. He says, he gathers the waters of the sea in a heap and he puts the deeps in storehouses. He gathers the waters in a heap and he puts the, the deeps in storehouses. It's a, it's a compelling image. It's, a, it's an image of, of what we see described for us in the first chapter of Genesis. Remember when God first created the heavens and the earth, what are we told? We're told that the waters covered it all. But that in time, God spoke and he divided the waters. And he brought forth dry land. He, he created a place for human beings to live and to flourish. He gathered the waters in a heap. He put them in storehouses. He set their boundaries. And that's the, the reality that David is focusing on here in this, this text. The reality that God set the boundaries for the sea. And, and why does that matter? Why is that so significant? Why is it so important that, that God sets the boundaries for the sea? It's important because what do the waters represent throughout the scriptures? The waters represent the powers of chaos. They represent the powers of, of destruction. We, we actually saw it in the previous psalm when the, the flood waters represented the judgment of God, the, the, the uh, disintegration of that which God had woven together as a beautiful tapestry. That's what the waters represent. And what David is reminding us here, what he's, what he's calling us to remember is that it is God who sets the boundaries of the sea. It is God who gathers them together in a heap. It is God who, who keeps them in storehouses. God is the God who brings order to the chaos. God is the God who works all things together for good. There is no power in this universe that stands over and against God. We are not dualists. We, we don't believe in a yin and a yang. We, we don't believe that there is, that there is a good deity and a, and a bad deity. They are at war with one another. We believe that there is one true God and in him there is no darkness at all. Whatever chaos there is in this universe is his servant, is subject to him. This is the God we worship, the God who gathers the waters in a heap. And think about what that means for you this morning. Think about how important that is. What is the chaos that you fear? What is the chaos that, that you believe threatens you? Whatever it is, whatever your, your fears fixate on, whatever you are anxious about, God made it by the word of his power. And God controls it by that same word. He sets its boundaries. He gathers it together in a heap. And therefore, 
What Paul says is true. If he is for you, if the God who gathers the seas in a heap is for you, you have nothing to fear. There is no power in the entire cosmos that can thwart or even hinder his plans. He sits in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. And what he pleases is to work good for his people. What pleases him is to, is to pour out blessing upon those whom he has claimed as his heirs. Not only can he contain the waters, he does. He will not allow them to overwhelm his people. And therefore, notice what David says. He says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. God is not merely the God of Israel. He says, if any nation wants to be blessed, if any nation wants to, to, to stand under his protection, stand in awe of the Lord, call upon his name, for he is the creator God. He is the one who spoke and it came to be. He is the one who commanded and it stood firm. And so as we come into God's presence this morning, we, we need to see him as the one whose word is upright, the one who, who, who created the world good, and the one who still contains the seas for the benefit of his people. But God's sovereign control of his creation did not stop at creation. He is not only the God of creation, he is also, we're told, the God of providence. We, we see that here. Notice uh, how David describes it beginning in verse 10. He writes, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the, peace, or the, count, uh, of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord, however, stand forever. The plans of his heart to all Generations. You, you can hear the contrast. He, he, he is contrasting the, the counsel of the nations and the, the plans of the people with the plans and the counsel of the Lord. The, the nations, those in power, those seemingly with the, the ability to execute their will, they, they have plans. Plans that they intend to, to follow. Plans that they intend to, to carry out. They have, they have counsels. They have ambitions. But what does David say? He says, the, the Lord brings the counsels of the nation to nothing. Apart from God's sovereign providence, apart from, from his permission, apart from, from his blessing, the nations can do nothing. The, the peoples cannot execute their will. On the contrary, it is the counsel of the Lord that stands forever. All of the, the plans of the peoples amount to nothing if the Lord does not bring it about. And so again, not only does, does God control creation, but he controls the, the nations that he has created. It's, it's, it's easy for us sometimes to, to think of God as in control of sort of the, the, the impersonal Yes, he, he controls the storm. Yes, he controls the, the wind. Yes, he controls the, the rain. But David says it does not stop there. Even the councils of the nation are under his sovereign control. He is the God of providence who governs all of the actions of all of his creatures all the time. So that Jesus can say not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from my Father's will. He works all things 
according to his counsel. He works all things according to his plan. That's why David can say that the the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. A, A war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot Save. David is not suggesting that, that, that war horses and, and kings are, with, with great armies are, 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 are insignificant in this world. David himself had an army and, and he went to battle with an army. But God does not need an army to execute his plans and an army cannot overrule the purposes of God. Again, we, we see different kinds of power today. We see political power and and military power and economic power. And we sometimes fear those who who have that power because we we fear that uh, that they do not have our best interests at heart, that they they are not working in ways that that are wise. And we should do what we can to to encourage our our leaders to, to, to remember justice and to do right in this world. But at the end of the day, we need to remember that ultimately they are not in charge. That ultimately they do not get to execute their wills. Their plans will come to nothing if God does not bring them about. For it is the counsel of the Lord that will stand. So David is is reminding us that the God who, who called into existence the heavens and the earth, the God who is the creator God, is also the sovereign Lord over history, the sovereign Lord over creation. He is the God of providence who brings all things to pass according to the counsel of his will. And again, that is why David says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Not blessed is the nation who who has the biggest army. Not blessed is the nation who who has the best economy. Not blessed is the nation who has has the the best constitution. All of those are, are good things. It is good to be able to defend yourself. It is good to have good laws. It is good to have good leaders. But ultimately... Our hope is not in these things, but our hope is in the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his heritage. And that's us. Those who have believed in Jesus Christ, those who have rested upon him for those salvation, those who now walk in humble reliance upon his spirit. We are the people of God. We are the righteous and therefore we are the blessed. We may live in Babylon for a season, but we are the people of God. And he is for us. He has chosen us to be his heritage. Just just think about that. God has, has chosen us to be his treasure. We often think of God as our treasure, and rightly so. We think of him as our inheritance, and rightly so. But he has chosen us to be his heritage. He has chosen us to be his inheritance. He has chosen us to be his delight. He is for us. And if he is for us, we can rest secure knowing that he will work all things together for our good. It's what David says in verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his steadfast love. 
If you this morning fear the Lord, if you stand in awe of Him as the Creator God, if you hope in His steadfast love, if you know that your good is inseparably bound to His mercy, then your hope is guaranteed. See, in scriptures, the the hope of God's people is not a thin thing. It is not a maybe thing. It is not a long shot thing. The hope of the Lord is a sure and certain expectation that the words of the Lord are upright and all his works are done in faithfulness. He will do what he has promised and what he has promised is good for his people. That's where we find ourselves this morning. And so if our hearts are not overflowing with praise, if praise is not the natural expression of our heart, it is because we have been distracted from these truths. It is because we have set our minds on other things, maybe maybe good things, maybe Bad things. It's interesting that in the the parable of the sower, both the the cares of this world and the desire for riches as well as the, the persecutions and tribulations of a scorching sun, both can keep the seed from being fruitful. Both can can distract us. Sometimes we we get distracted from from the the wonder of who God is because we are so into our blessings. We we are so into the the good things that He has given us and, and we're focused on them and we want more of them. But oftentimes we are distracted because we lose sight of of, of who God is for us by the the trials and the tribulations that we face in this life. When the floods come and the, the fires rage, we forget that the Lord is with us. And when we are anxious or when we are covetous, our hearts turn from worship. And so God, through His servant David, calls us back. He calls us back. He says, come into my presence with shouts of joy, for praise befits the righteous. It's not just that you ought to be praising. It's that this is where your joy is. This is where your life is. God created you to delight in him. To come into his presence with, with loud shouts is, is not a command that we should, uh, that we should obey grudgingly. That's not the way we praise. We praise that which we delight in. And when we see God for who he is, we cannot but delight in him. And so therefore, let us thank him for the opportunity that we can come into his presence, that we can see again the wonder of who he is. We can see him as creator. We can see him as sovereign Lord. We can see him as the one whose whose steadfast love fills the earth. And our hearts can be filled with awe. Our hearts can be filled with wonder. And our mouths can overflow with praise. We can can say with David as he does at the end of this psalm, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and strength, for our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. David begins by calling us into worship. And he ends by acknowledging, hey, we're here. We're here. Because we've seen God as He is. We've heard His upright words. We've known Him as the Creator. We've known Him as the the Sovereign Lord over space and time. 
And now we stand in His presence, overflowing with praise. Some of you may be a little uncomfortable shouting. (laughs) I get it. But may we speak boldly of the wonder of who God is. May we speak loudly and, and confidently of His glory and His goodness. And may we rest in Him knowing that blessed is the nation whom the Lord has chosen to be His heritage. And because that's us, because God has has redeemed us to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, and because we now can delight in His presence, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Father, that even when we are distracted by other things, when our hearts have been turned to the right or the left, that you again and again and again call us back to yourself, opening the eyes of our hearts to to see your glory and your goodness yet again. Father God, may you do that for us even this morning. May you show us who you are, that we might worship you in a manner worthy of your name, both to your glory and our eternal good. We we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.